This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Sucker Sub. Go listen. I'm Banter. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Now pay me. Pay me in cash, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the Soccer Subs Podcast, the number one podcast covering soccer in New York City and all over the world. Let's give it up for Ronnie. Let's give it up for Christian. And let's give it up for you, the Soccer yeah. Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 35. My name is Ronnie. I am your host, joined here by my three Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian, Hugh, Eric. Fellas, how are you guys doing? It's been a while. Before we get to you guys, I just want to say real quick, Christian and I had a great time at the MLS All-Star Game in LA. It's been a crazy week. How are you guys doing, fellas? Like you said, Ronnie, a massive thank you to everyone who we had a chance to meet in LA. What a pleasure it was to be at the MLS All-Star Game. And wow, number 35 with uh, massive, massive transactions going on in the world of soccer. Listen, number 35, the number of Alexander Sinchenko, a.k.a. baby Kevin De Bruyne. Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Oh man, episode 35. 35 is also the amount of minutes I've heard Fabricio Romano has slept over the last couple of weeks you know gee i can't believe we're already on episode 35 i'm so excited there's so many transfer news there's so much so much happening on the world of soccer you know i can't wait to talk well boys i'm glad to be back and i'm glad to bring whatever insight i can as as limited as that will be to this episode it's been a while i'm glad to be back and i'm glad you all are back so i'm looking forward to this one all right. Thanks, Hugh. Yeah, for the soccer fans, episode 35. We're almost halfway through our 30s. We got a big show for you guys today. As usual, we have a big guest joining us in just a little bit. He's an English soccer manager who's coached for the Jacksonville Armada in the NASL. He's also been part of Orlando City's U23 coaching squad. He is now the head coach of El Paso Locomotive in the USL. It's a true pleasure that we have Coach Mark Lowry joining us in just a little bit. We're going to get to him in just a little bit. Great insights. Great coach. We're super excited for you to hear this interview. Probably one of the best ones we've done. We keep saying it, but uh, Mark Lowry just raised the bar for any future coach coming up ahead. So uh, we're super excited about that. And fellas, before we get into Mark Lowry, I can't believe this transfer window is just getting any more insane more news that shocked the world. Cristiano Ronaldo back to Man U. I got to get your thoughts on that in just a little bit. And just some other transfers to get into real quick. Anton Griezmann is back to Atletico Madrid. That was announced today. Saul to Chelsea from Atletico Madrid. That one, we, I don't know, that came out of left field to me. Jerome Boateng to Lyon. That is official. Eduardo Camavinga to Real Madrid. That was announced today as well. Spurs signing Emerson from Barcelona. That was a big signing as well. So Eric, what else am I missing, man? Oh, man, Ronnie, you got to show love to the CONCACAF players, man. We got Matthew Happy, who signed for Mallorca. We have Santiago Munoz, who signed for Newcastle United. I'm excited to see those CONCACAF players make that leap over to Europe. You know, we have, you know, Daniel James, who signed for Leeds United. We also have Elias Moriba, such a nice young talent, signing for RB Leipzig, who just so happened to lose their captain, uh, Marcel Sabitzer, to 
Bayern Munich. Wow, what a surprise there. Second place giving away their coach, their star center back, and their captain to first place. Unbelievable. But no, we also, look, for all our soccer fans out there, we have World Cup qualifiers. We have CONCACAF teams facing off each other. We have USA, Salvador, Mexico, Jamaica, Canada, Honduras. I'm so excited for these matches. We have a, in a couple of days, we have the rematch of the century. We have Argentina versus Brazil again. Uh, let's throw it love to Europe as well. You know, we have Portugal coming up against Ireland. We have France. Let's see if they can make a leap back against Bosnia. I don't know their name, but, you know, <laughs> I can't wait for these qualifiers, man. Uh, fellas, let's just get right into it. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo back in Man U uniform. I got to ask you guys, is this the biggest transfer window in the past decade? How do you guys see Cristiano Ronaldo going back into Man U? I want to start off with you real quick as a Madridista. Hugh, let me just get your thoughts real quick, man. What, what's your thoughts on Cristiano Ronaldo coming back? And uh, is this the biggest transfer window you've seen in the past decade? Uh, well, to answer the last part of that question, I think the the obvious answer there is is yes, right? I think you've got the two greatest players of all time have changed teams. And then you've got a couple of guys who I think are in the top 10 have also switched up. So like Ronaldo, Messi, Ramos, all three of them are top 10 players for me. And them changing teams is a big, big deal. And I think especially we're talking two free transfers and a 20 and a 20 million sum for like total. Those three players cost 20 million euro to move around Europe. That's a ridiculously low number. And so you know, I think it is the biggest transfer window of all time. In terms of my perspective on Ronaldo going back to Manchester United, it's a little bit bittersweet for me. Obviously, as a Madrid fan, you know, I would love to see him coming back to the Bernabeu. I would have loved to see him putting on the jersey again. And, and, and look, our number seven spot has not been the same since he left. I mean, Mariano Diaz, no offense to him, but he didn't fill his boots. I mean, we tried to get rid of him today, and Eden Hazard just has not had the time of his life at Madrid. And, you know, to no fault of him, Cristiano Ronaldo going back to Manchester United, I think is a great move for his career. He's going to one of the most competitive leagues in the world, if not the most competitive league in the world. And on top of that, I think he is going to be in the form of his life and he is going to fit that team like a glove. He is going to be a great player for that team. That said, can I guarantee he's going to be peak his uh, peak performance for what he's done in the past 10 years? No. What I can tell you is he's going to be good. Like he's always been good. He's going to score goals. Like he's always scored goals. And he's going to be a good player for that team. And they need him. Oh, amazing, Hugh. Thanks so much on that. Eric, man, I usually start off with you, but I've been waiting for your answer, man. How's it feel back to have uh, Cristiano back in the Premier League? And is this the biggest transfer win in the past decade for you, man? I mean, look, listen, Ronaldo back at United, it's it's mixed feelings, you know. I'm really excited. I mean, for one, he's playing in the top five leagues, unlike a certain Messi and Neymar. But, that, you know, that's besides the point, you know. A very extremely competitive um, league. I'm excited to see how well he's going to mesh with this young United side. I'm a bit worried as to far as how he's going how these young players are going to develop in terms of, you know, Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford, Jadon Sancho. How are these players going to adapt? They're definitely going to get better. That's for sure. They're going to learn so much from Ronaldo. And I think with the Pogba figure, with the Bruno figure, adding that experience that Ronaldo brings to a team is definitely going to help Manchester United in the long run. My concern is there were two things that weren't addressed this window. A center defensive midfielder, which they desperately need. And I'm still not convinced on Ole leading this team. I do not believe he has. I think he's more of a player coach. Tactically, I think he still has ways to go. And I think 
United make it, make it to second place and maybe are bounced out of Champions League early on in the in the um, group stages. As far as um, the biggest transfer window, for sure. Listen, there were so many moves that happened. I, I just, you know, Griezmann going back to Atletico, that's just, it's crazy. It blew my mind. You know, obviously the two goats moving teams. It's just, I just, I'm excited to see how these teams are going to develop. Look, I, I think there's definitely going to be um, some shifts in terms of the league quality. Premier League, for sure, I think it's at its high, highest level that's ever has been. You know, all the top teams are competitive except Arsenal. Sorry, Arsenal fans. You guys are just still sad, still down bad, as they say, you know. But no, it's just, it's so competitive. You have Liverpool, City, Chelsea, you know, United. All those teams have what it takes to be champions. It's just, it's a matter of like, it's a, it's a, it's a horse race. It's a 38 game horse race. You know, you have to be consistent. You have to, it's just unbelievable. But look, I'm going to throw a hot take there. I believe that next summer may even surpass this in terms of not even just actual signings for like a certain a transfer amount, but there's so many free agents that unless clubs secure them now, it's like, you're going to be seeing so many players walk for free. I'm talking Mbappe. I'm talking Goretzka, Paul Pogba, Paolo Dybala, Lorenzo Insigne, Dembele, you know, all these players are, have expiring contracts. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, are they, are they going to renew them? Uh, you know what? I think next summer might be even crazier. Well, where do we start? I think uh, Messi alone had already such a big impact in the transfer window. Now with Ronaldo coming back, I think it's even bigger. Now, the only thing is that, guys, it, You know, this is something that we have to talk about. Ronaldo initially wanted to go to Real Madrid, but no team show interest in paying that fee to get him back. So that's one of the things that I'm mostly surprised. And all of this happened because of Harry Kane. I'm sorry, but it's the truth because everything had to take in consideration. City wanted a striker and essentially they wanted Harry Kane. They couldn't get it. Then here comes uh, Ronaldo's agent and offers him uh, the, the player. They said, man, well, we got to think about it because, you know, Ronaldo, his ego, will he fit in the team? And, you know, they, just because the thought of having Ronaldo play in City, Man United were like, okay, we didn't want him uh, earlier in the, in the year, but maybe we want him now because of his legacy. So everything has to do with pride, with not, may, uh, not seeing Ronaldo wearing the blue shirt. So it's, it's, it really wasn't meant to happen, but it did because they were really waiting for Ronaldo to finish off his contract and maybe next year come back to United. So one of the things that surprised me is the development on how Ronaldo actually came back to Old Trafford. Now, speaking on the effectiveness on how will he perform with the team, it's going to be challenging because the best finisher in the club is Greenwood. He's three for three in the league so far, three goals in three games. And I'm not sure who's going to sit down. I'm not sure if you're going to let Marcus Rashford sit down because he's also been performing well, I guess, in the last couple of seasons with United. Will Pogba play it as a holding midfielder alongside with Fred? Or is it going to be McTominay and Fred? Some, something's got to give. The deadline is over. So Ole has a very big task ahead of him trying to put all the pieces together. But there's no doubt that Ronaldo will perform. I mean, he scored 36 goals in the last season. He scored 37 the season before that. So he's a 30-and-plus guy that he will definitely be a danger inside the box. Now, one of the things that Guardiola said or, or what has been stated before is that he has the worst pressing stats in Serie A. Because he doesn't track back. He doesn't run. And Guardiola's team is all about running. So one of the biggest things is that will Ronaldo 
be encouraged to perform for the team? Will he be a team player? I do, I do hope so. I think it's beneficial for both the, the team and the player. You have Pogba, who sometimes plays well, sometimes doesn't. I think having a figure, a big figure in the team like Ronaldo will probably push Pogba a little bit more to play more intense each and every game. So I, I think it's it's a win-win. I think Man City was used just so uh, Manchester United can pull the trigger. It's one of the most fantastic stories in the summer. It makes Antoine Griezmann's move to Atletico Madrid seem so small. So it, that's how big this transfer window is. And I'm just completely shocked that everything has happened in the last couple of days. Well, yeah, if I can just interject something there, uh, I think Paul Pogba was linked to Real Madrid for a very long time. Paul Pogba has always wanted to play with Cristiano Ronaldo. The fact that he's getting the chance now, the fact that he's coming into one of the better spells of form at Manchester United for him, I think is really, really crucial to his success this season because it's a player he's always wanted to play with and he's getting the chance to play not just alongside him, but alongside him in a team of equally as good talented players. So I think you're going to see a huge uptick in Paul Pogba's game. Uh, but the other thing, like Christian said, the, the domino effect in this, Antoine Griezmann going to Atletico Madrid, and then at the same time, Luke de Jong coming from Sevilla to replace him at Barcelona on a one-year loan. Like, every single thing in this transfer window has been a domino effect from another thing, which to me makes it not just the best transfer window, but one of the most entertaining. Because if you were really thinking about it two weeks ago, there's probably somebody who predicted all of this was going to happen. And that person right now probably feels like the smartest person in the world. Because believe me, I was nowhere close to thinking any of this was, was going to happen. And I'm not going to say I'm a transfer genius, but I like to think that sometimes I can predict the Fabrizio Romano tweet. So, you know, somebody out there who's, who's thought of all this, like kudos to you. But it definitely could have been done. And it definitely could have been done like a chess game because that's how it happened. A big round of applause to all the agents out there who made this happen. One of the craziest stories we've ever seen so far. Yeah, it's crazy how uh, the last episode we called it uh, News That Shocked the World. And this is like part two to that, a follow-up to episode 34. But uh, I'm excited to see Ronaldo back. I mean, I agree with Eric what you said, man. The Premier League is probably at its most competitive nature as it can be in these past few years. I'm excited to see, you know, Rafael Varane just got back to Man U seeing two teammates pair back up, you know, Bruno Fernandez connection with Cristiano. I think Cristiano is definitely going to raise the bar for the team. Like you said, Christian, it's going to be interesting how uh, Cristiano is going to incorporate with that team with Pogba and everyone else. Cause so many different types of playing styles, but that's what makes it so interesting. And we already saw man use a uh, stock rise like 8%. And I think they already got like three more million followers than what they already had, which is insane. Uh, I'm sure the, the Cristiano Ronaldo jersey, once his number gets announced, is going to sell out in a few minutes. And I already know that uh, Cristiano's uh, post saying that he's going to ban you already topped Messi. So I feel like these two goats always try to top each other without even wanting to. Man, that's a beautiful game right there. And all right, fellas, one more question before we get into Mark Lowry. Obviously, Ronaldo is back. I know last episode we talked about our predictions, who's winning the Premier League. Eric, I got to ask you real quick. Are you still sticking with Chelsea? Christian, are you still sticking with City? Hugh, I want to hear who you still got. Does this change anything for who's winning the Premier League? Or are there any other transfer that you think had a pretty significant uh, impact? Eric, let me start off with you real quick, man. It's, it's definitely tough, that's for sure. I, I'm actually conflicted at this point. I, I had originally Chelsea and Liverpool battling it out with Chelsea edging them out. Now I'm going to shift to Chelsea United. I'm still going to edge out Chelsea only because Tuchel is just a far better manager. But the thing about United is, yes, they're missing a CDM, and yes, they have PE teacher 
Ole at the wheel. But one thing about United that I'm starting to realize is they have an insane amount of depth in terms of Cavani, you know, Greenwood, Lingard, who had an amazing second half of the season. You have Lindelof, Bailly. I mean, they're not the best, but, you know, definitely for rotating players out. You added serial winners in Ronaldo and Baran, who just automatically make this team a lot much better. So now, in my opinion, I think it's going to be a race between Chelsea and United. I still have Chelsea edging them out just because I think they're just having so much momentum at the moment. They're playing really well. Listen, they held out against Liverpool with 10 men. They had 10 men in their team, and they held out an insane Liverpool who just presses you, presses you, and attacks you all day. They held out, and I think Chelsea, they, they're determined. And you know what? This season, I'm challenging Werner to prove me wrong. You have Lukaku in that team who's been added to your team. Listen, Werner, if you don't perform, Werner, I mean, Werner, if you don't perform, Lukaku is going to eat your food. You know, that's it. He's going to score all the goals. So step your game up. But Chelsea all the way. All right. And Hugh, I, we, you weren't part of us with episode 34, but I got to get your takes. Who's your favorite to win the league? Does Ronaldo coming back to the league change everything? Yeah, uh, Eric, I really liked your, your, your turn of phrase there that Lukaku is going to eat Werner's food. But to be honest, man, Romelu Lukaku got a digestive issue fixed when he was in Italy. And like our guy Christian Vieri said, he was worked to death by the coaches at Inter to the point where he is in the shape of his life. I think he is one of the most prolific goal scorers in the Premier League and on the planet right now. And I think he's going to show that this year. That said, I don't have full confidence in Chelsea's back line. And I think there's a big, big spot for some of the other really attacking heavy teams in the league to exploit that. So I think City still have a really good shot at winning the league, even though, you know, they're not maybe the, the powerhouse they were last year. And, and whatever Jack Grealish's play style is going to do to them might sort of disrupt Pep Guardiola football. But at the same time, I think they still have a big shot at it. My underdog, though, for the top four is West Ham, because I think as a team, West Ham is going to really push on what the Premier League has been sort of stagnant with for the past couple of years. I think last year was a, was a sort of a wake-up call to the rest of the Premier League that the, you can't expect Thomas Suchek uh, and, and, and Antonio, you can't expect them to be mid-level players. They are top-level players, and they're going to show that. I think Spurs will have a good run this year, but if you're asking me who my pick is, I'm going to go with the wild card, the Cristiano Ronaldo pick. I'm going to say Manchester United are going to win the Premier League, not just because of Cristiano Ronaldo, but because they were so close last year. I think another year is going to let them be a bigger unit, but also a bigger unit that has maybe what is what was that that missing piece, which was somebody who was just an out and out prolific goal scorer. And I think if you've got Cristiano Ronaldo netting 25 goals this season, even if it's not 30, if he nets 25 goals this season, Manchester United have a really, really good shot at winning the league. Uh, thanks for that, Hugh. And Christian, yeah, are you still sticking with City, Christian? <laughs> I mean, just to piggyback on what Hugh said, you know, Pogba and Bruno Fernandes are going to have the time of their life crossing balls to Ronaldo because that's going to be an aerial threat for any team. Now, Ronnie, I, I mean, people just forget very quickly what Guardiola did with City last season. And they added Jack Grealish on, to the team. So, yes, they still need a forward because Aguero left, uh, but he wasn't really playing much. And this team really is more like a compacted team that uh, do they really need a score? Yeah, that would have been nice. They would have definitely enjoyed Ronaldo. But they're just a tough team. And I think people also forget 
that this is not a, a one lap race. This is a marathon. So whoever has a deeper squad, something like uh, Eric touched on is what's going to end up deciding who's going to win the league. Now, with that being said, I mean, Chelsea, they got to be careful with their defenders because they lost Zuma. They transferred Zuma. And now what happens if somebody gets injured? Let's say Rudiger gets injured. That's a big, big loss. And I think, like you said, Hugh, the defensive line could suffer if they go through injuries. Now, you know, Lukaku probably is a bigger move to the Premier League than Ronaldo, but not because of the name, obviously, with all due respect, but because of what you guys have been saying. He's just being efficient day in and day out in the last couple of seasons. So it, it's hard to say. I'm going to stick with City, man. I mean, Guardiola just beat two teams back-to-back 5-0. Obviously, you know, they're not a strong team. And Arsenal right now fighting relegation, just like you said, Eric. It might be, it, it can be considered a real challenge with all due respect. But uh, yeah, I'm sticking with City, man. I feel like for next episode, I want to hear from the Arsenal fans for episode 36, man. We got to have an Arsenal special for episode 36. But I think I'm also going to stick with Chelsea. And it's definitely going to be a close rate with Man City. And I think Man U probably right right there on third. The only reason I'm probably picking Man U on third, I don't think things just happen like magic. You know, Ronaldo coming in and bam, they win the Premier League. I think they're going to have their challenges adjusting just like any other team. Don't forget, like, you know, Ronaldo came into Juve and, you know, they didn't click right away. So it's not like uh, Ronaldo's going to come in and bam, they're going to win the Premier League to me. Like Eric said, let's not forget Tuchel still Tuchel. Guardiola still Guardiola. So I think those are safe bets to still go on. And don't get me wrong, Man U is definitely creeping up on second, third, somewhere in there. And who knows? But I'm sure we'll be we'll stay talking about it more. And all right, fellas, let's get over to our special guest who's been waiting for a bit. Uh, we're super excited for this one. He's an English soccer manager who's coached for the Jacksonville Armada and the NASL. He's been part of Orlando City's coaching squad. He's considered one of the best managers in the USL. We got the one and only coach Mark Lowry joining us all the way from El Paso, El Paso Locomotive. Super excited for this one. And yeah, let's get to coach Mark Lowry. He's coming up next. Uh, Let's go. All right, soccer fans. We have a special guest joining the show today. He's an English football manager and a former player. He's coached for Orlando City's Academy and the U23 squad. He's also coaching the NASL for the Jacksonville Armada. We simply know him now as the head coach of the El Paso Locomotive in the USL. Oh, man, it's a true pleasure to have him on the show. Let's please give a warm welcome to Coach Mark Lowry on the show. Hello, Coach Mark. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, coach, that's our that's our little soccer subs intro. Uh, we always try to do that. Hello. Uh, Coach, a true pleasure, a true honor. We've heard so many good things about you. And of course, the USL being a heck of a league, a true pleasure to have you on. You know, first question from all of us, how are you? The USL is a league like no one, none other. Any team can be any team on any given day. And just really, how are you? And what makes playing in USL and make playing in El Paso so special? Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, looking forward to having this conversation with you. Uh, learn more about what you guys do as well. Um, yeah, everything's good over here. No complaints. Um, frankly, since the day I landed in El Paso, probably just under four years ago now, from Florida to El Paso, it's been it's been a fantastic ride. It really has. The city, the club, um, have been superb from day one. I can't speak highly enough about the people here. They've made my job easier than it should be um, by their support. Fans in the stadium, the front office staff we have here, the ownership group. Um, love their minute of working with them. And obviously this season's going quite well for us. 14 games in, uh, won nine, tied four, lost one, I believe is our record, uh, sitting top of our group. So, yeah, the, 
I have no complaints as I sit here today. Um, we're in the middle of a really busy stretch, though. This is our tomorrow night. We play our fourth game in like 11 days. We're in the middle of like a five game stretch in two weeks. So busy time, but you know, the guys are playing well. We have a great squad. Um, we can rotate players through to manage these games. So we're really happy with what, what we've put together here. And, and we're looking forward to continuing, you know, performing on the field and, and, and trying to get good results. Uh, coach, thank you for that. And yeah, like you mentioned, nine wins, four draws, one loss. What a heck of a record so far. And I know you guys are a dangerous team when it comes to playing at home. So that definitely to be noted for for a lot of USL teams. And coach, one of our first questions, uh, aside from that is, you know, coach, you're still young. You know, you're mm -hmm. 35 and you've had such a young, successful career. Uh, we wanted to ask you, you know, we, we knew you were a player prior to coaching and that didn't work out for you. And we've seen other prior interviews that you knew you wanted to be a head coach at an early age, 16, 17 years old. So we just wanted to ask you, you know, how was your first season like coaching? Uh, what were some bumps on the road along the way? And um, just really, you know, from joining Jacksonville and or in Orlando, what was that transition like player to coach? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and one that I think is, is relevant to a lot of a lot of young coaches out there right now who are trying to figure out where they want to go in the game and what they want to do and, you know, or guys coming towards the end of their playing career, you know, making that transition. So I think it's a, it's an important question, important topic. But for me, it was, it was an easy decision for me because my passion for coaching and love of teaching outweighed my passion for playing. You know, like most kids growing up in England, I did want to be a pro. Um, I was a good player. I, I had the tools. I had the ability. But I don't think I had the mentality to be a pro. I had the more of the mindset of a coach. Uh, I was a deep thinker about things. I was I analyzed things a lot. And I'll be honest, as a player, that might be one of the worst attributes you can have because you need to have a short memory as a player. You need to be able to go out there and forget about everything and just play and be in the moment and you know be emotional about things. And 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 that wasn't me. That's that's not me as a person. I was it was more I'm more equipped to you know breaking down teams tactically and, and problem solving and, and and that's how my mind works. And if I'm you know something negative happens, I think about it and I try and improve on it. And like I said, as a player, it just didn't it just didn't line up with with, with going out on the field and playing. Um, it, it more lined up with with being a coach. So I recognised that quite early about myself. So by the time I was yeah 16, I was I was quite far along in my you know, coach education, uh, got the UEFA B license at 16, 17, was working in schools and academies and with young kids and just loving it and still trying to forge a career as a player. But I knew very quickly, like once I dived into a coaching course, that was kind of me, that was kind of me sold, right? I, that was the direction I wanted to go in. I didn't have any time constraints on it. It wasn't like I need to do this now and forget playing, but slowly but surely the coaching started to take over and you know, by the time I was in my early 20s as a full-time coach, working at all different levels and age groups, really loved working with kids. That was another passion of mine. And still to this day, uh, you know, I adore children. Um, just just how the energy and, and how much fun they have on the field. And that's kind of where it started. You know, my passion for kids, my passion for teaching, and my passion for football lent it to being more of a, a teacher and, and a coach um, and a mentor. So, one thing led to another with that as, as I was kind of going through that process of, of, of coaching and as I was getting, you know, more serious about what direction I wanted that to go in, it, it went away from working with younger players to by the time I was kind of mid-20s to late-20s, I already had my eyes set on, you know, I kind of want to start working with older players. Now, 
is that, you know, young pros, you know, the, 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 the 17, 18 year olds, or is that, you know, senior football? So then trying to forge my way and kind of find opportunities. And that was very difficult because as, as, as you all know, if you haven't had a good career as a player, it is very difficult to, to, to get in the pro game as a coach. Um, not many clubs or people are willing to give opportunities to people that haven't had a big playing background. But coming over to America, I found there was a lot more opportunities for me with regards to that. Working with Orlando City in their academy was great. Got to know Adrian Heath really well. Learned a lot from him on how to kind of, you know, what training sessions look like at the first team level, how he managed players, the way they played. I really did learn a lot from Adrian. And then I was in the academy at Orlando and I was always looking for the next opportunity. And I felt the opportunity to, to go with Orlando City into their first team, into the first team squad as a coach was, was, wasn't really there for me. They just made the move to MLS, which actually made the jump even more difficult. So then Jacksonville Armada, just down the street, they were in NASL at the time and they had a good academy. Um, very familiar with them over there. I had some good connections with, with Jacksonville. So kind of made the jump over to Jacksonville. And one thing led to another very quickly from in Jacksonville. It went from being an academy coach to an assistant coach of the first team, the interim head coach, then to the true head coach, all in probably the space of 18 months. Um, they gave me an opportunity. You know, people in that club, Nathan Walter, Eric Dade, you know, even Tony Miola bringing me on to his staff, you know, were fantastic for my development. And, and just giving me the opportunity to show that I could do it at that level with men, with senior players, with experienced players, that this was their job. This was their livelihood, right? So a whole different ball game to teaching kids, right? To teaching adults. The fo football's the same. And I'll say that at every level, the football is the same. It rolls the same way. There's two goals. There's 22 players. That never changes. But it's the, it's, it's what's on the line, right? It's, it's, it's the wins and the losses, versus the development changes, obviously, the older the player. So really diving into that, into men's football and, 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 and figuring out how my philosophy, how I teach, how I work with, with, with people can bring the best out of adults now. I felt, I'd, you know, I was bringing the best out of young players, but now I've got to bring the best out of adults who, who are getting paid to do this. And, and that, for me, was another challenge. And I, and I love that challenge. And like I said, from Jacksonville, things move very quickly. And the NASL was a great league, you guys know. The NASL, it really was. I mean, historical league, even just a few years ago, you know, some great clubs, um, some great players, and that disappeared. So then we were kind of stuck. I was like, well, kind of my, my, my career in senior football as a coach, is, is it over? You know, is, is that it? Was it just like two years with Jacksonville? And now, now where do I go? So um, USL was obviously the natural transition for me. And, and the franchise here in, in El Paso came around at the right time. And like I said earlier on the call, ever since I've been in El Paso, it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been wonderful for me, for my family. The people here are great. The club's great. So yeah, that's kind of my, my journey so far and kind of how I got into it and kind of my evolution as a coach, as a thinker, as a teacher, how now it's, it's gone from wanting to work with young kids now working with, you know, I've got guys on my team older than me that are 35, 36 and enjoying working with them on a daily basis. And sort of going a little bit off of the, the learning and, and learning from people in the coaching sphere, obviously with Jacksonville, you worked under an American favorite and then you worked, you took over his position, Tony Miola. Could you detail a little bit on what you maybe took from him and, and was it helpful to have someone who had experience in the American system like he did and had watched it grow. And then also 
what other coaches did you really look up to when you were coming into your coaching career? And maybe even still now you think of as the coaches that when you were younger really made you want to be the person you, you are today? Yeah, really good question. And I'll start with that point, kind of take you back chronologically to my early years. There was two coaches that, like I said earlier, I was, I was, I wasn't the best prepared mentally to be a professional soccer player, but there was two coaches who, I don't know how they did, but they always got the best. If they'd been my coach every day, I would be a professional soccer player right now. The environment had to be right for me to perform as a young player. And that's not, that's not a good thing for a pro. You need to be able to perform no matter what the situation. But there was two coaches, Mark Fogarty and Mick Halsall, who worked high up in the game in England, um, developing players at various clubs that they had a knack of just getting the best out of me. The way they taught the game, the way they spoke, the way they delivered information to me just just worked for me. So probably on a subconscious level back then, that really intrigued me. I didn't know why, but now I know. I mean, that's a skill. That's a, that's an art form. When you can engage with a player like that and bring the best out of them, just by the words you use, how you talk them, your body language. Um, so they're, they're two guys that, that, that their, their knowledge of the game was superb. Their, their, the delivery of information was second to none. And it, for some reason, it worked for me. So I, I look back on how they delivered sessions, how they spoke, kind of, kind of how they organized practices. And that was really my, you know, that really helped me understand what coaching was. So yeah, the, the, those two stand out for me as a young player growing up. And that really got me thinking about, well, there are a lot of guys out there like me, a lot of good players that like me who just need the right coach, right? How can I be the right coach for every player? And I think as a coach, you have to find a way to do that. Every player is different, but you have to find a way to be the right coach for every player. That means wearing a different mask, saying, speaking a different language or, you know, talking them differently because like I said, everyone responds in a different way to things. And that's the art of coaching, finding what works for each individual player and making sure as a coach are giving that player what they need. And then yeah, in, in Jacksonville with Tony, I think, that was Tony's first head coaching job at that level. He had a great passion for it. He really cared. He really did care about the players and, and being successful. And I took, I took a lot of that from him. He had a desire to be successful. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work out for him. Um, like I said, I think with it being his first job at that level, in, in a rough season, a tough NASL season, I'll, I'll say it was a tough league. There was a lot of quality in that league finding who he wanted to be as a coach in terms of, you know, what type of football they wanted to play. He was kind of working through that still. Um, so I think it was great to be with Tony and the connections Tony has in the game, right? He's very respected throughout the U.S. soccer landscape. Like you said, he's been there and done it at, at every level of U.S. soccer. Massive respect for that. Uh, incredible respect for what he's done as a player. And as a person, he was fantastic to me. He really was. As a person, he couldn't have done any more for me. And, and I'll always have that respect for Tony because – First and I do look at the person over the, 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 I do that with players as well. The person is more important than the actual player. Um, and that's what you remember about people, right? You remember how they treated you. And Tony treated me great. He gave me some responsibilities to work with the players. I'd already been at Jacksonville as, interim, as, as an assistant coach before he came in. So I had a knowledge and understanding of the league and the players. So he allowed me to kind of help him with that and, and, he gave me a lot of responsibility towards the back end, which really helped me my growth as a coach. So I'll always, I'll always be thankful for Tony for what he did for me. Uh, that's, that's great to hear. And um, man, I'm sure all our fans are amazed at your story. You know, coach, when I think of Texas, you know, obviously, you know, he, you know, cowboy boots and, you know, barbecue, but definitely one of them has to be sports. 
And, you know, El Paso Locomotive, you know, was founded in 2018. You know, they joined the USL as an expansion team. I'm curious, you know, how do you gain the trust of the fans, you know? How do you set and start a culture for a brand new club joining the league? You know, I'm, I'm very curious. Really good question. I think it's even a, a, a more unique question because we're in El Paso, which is obviously a, a, a huge Mexican culture, right? We're on the border of Juarez, which I love, by the way. I, I love being in this part of the world. And, and that was, throughout the process of coming here, The I think the struggle the club had in the hiring, and struggle's the wrong word, but they there was a belief in some parts of it that they maybe needed a Mexican coach that could relate with the the the, the people and, and and the soccer here and and the language and and then there was part of what well, we, we need a coach that actually understands the league right because there's a big part of that as well it's like it's okay bringing somebody from abroad or from another country but you know the, you said stop the US style is a very unique league you have to have an understanding of players at this level what travels like what the league's like how games were lost in the league Every league is different. So in hiring me, they showed a lot of faith in that, you know, I could engage with the, even though I'm English and English speaking, I could engage with the community. And I believe, and the club believed, because that's why they hired me, that the biggest, <laughs> the biggest cultivator of culture and bringing people together is, is winning, right? It's like, if, if you win, we could have a team of, of, we could have 11 Mexicans on the field, we could have 11 English guys, we could have 11 Dutch players on the field. People want to win, right? So having a style of play and a way of winning that, that people can get behind is the most important thing. And, you know, we've gone, we have a very multicultural roster. We, we've got guys from all over the world, which I, I think that's important. And the fans love that, that they love the local guys we have. They love the, the British guys we have. They love the, the South American guys we have. Players that, whether they speak English, Spanish, French, Portuguese, whether they've been American or not, have a passion and a desire to engage with the community is important. Not every player has that. People, some players want to play and be left alone. Others, you know, want to give back the community. Our pastor is a community that, that deserves players and, and, and a club that gives back. So that was that was an interesting like question you made because I do believe the coach of, of any club has to have a re- build a relationship, but also they have to be symbolic for the city, I think. So I take Liverpool for me, like Jurgen Klopp is Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp is German, right? But when you think of Liverpool as a town, the Beatles, rock and roll, like that's Jurgen Klopp as a coach, right? That's who he is. Like he symbolizes what Liverpool is about. And even though I'm not Mexican, my wife is Guatemalan. I'm very comfortable in the Hispanic culture. I have a grasp of the Spanish language. They saw that I cared. And El Paso is a town of hardworking people. And I'm a hardworking coach. So it's like that I might not be Mexican, but there's a lot of resemblance to me in El Paso. And now this is my home. And I love the fans. We have this relationship now, this trust, this loyalty. We've got to bat for each other every day. And they're there for us. Uh, it's it's become this, this kind of beautiful relationship that, that the team has with the, the, the city and that I have with the city and, and I couldn't ask for a better place to, to work and coach to be honest with you because the passion for the game's here and I love that. No, no, I was just, you know, I was just going to invite the coach to, you know, some beers and carne asada because he's definitely part of the Yes, <laughs> some Pacificos <laughs> and carne asada were good to go. <laughs> I was just going to say, not that English people are not hardworking, but it's good to hear it from your, from your end. You know, a lot of people 
needed to hear that. And coach, you spoke a little bit about uh, winning. And that's one of the most amazing things we read about you because El Paso hasn't lost a home game since June of 2020. And if you could please walk us through what it's like uh, for you in game day preparations, because the ability to understand the mental state of a whole team in order for them to perform day in and day out, especially at home games, uh, that is um, amazing to me. So if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it, it's difficult, but I think the most important thing is to be consistent. There's a routine about your work and preparation that when you have a routine that's successful, sticking to it because the players become familiar with it and with, familiar, with familiarity, it breeds confidence. If the players are familiar with a way of doing things and you're not changing things all the time and, and the players get confident in, in the process and then it really starts to take care of itself. And win, lose or draw, don't, don't budge from that. You know, we lost our first home game ever here, right? We, we can see it after 12 seconds of our first ever home game. And it, it, in, on paper, the worst start to a franchise ever, right? But we knew that we were doing something right. The way we were playing, the rest of the game was good. You know, the next home game was good. But just the process we've been through over the course of three years, it's evolved. My ideas for the game have evolved a little bit, but the principles are still there. The game changes that, you know, every year you guys follow the game, right? The trends of the game change. Every time the Euros or a World Cup, there's different things that teams are doing now. And so... We've just stuck to a process from day one and a belief system. And we have recruited players that we believe can, can, can execute it. And that's the key part. It's getting the right people around you from a players and a staff standpoint that are on the same page, that are willing to work hard every day, um, whether it's a Saturday game, a Wednesday game, an away game, a home game, and having a process and tweaking the process as you go because you want to keep improving the way you deliver things, the way you do things. But... We've been very consistent with our approach to games, um, our preparation, how we go through the week, the meetings we have to deliver information to players, to the group, to, to, to units. We do that throughout the week as well. So I think it's just a case of being consistent uh, and sticking to your beliefs no matter what happens. And I would say initially I probably gave too much information to players. And it's kind of my evolution as a coach. Initially I probably fed the players too much information on the opposition and overload them a little bit throughout the week. And actually, as, as I'm growing as a coach, I don't know that I'm getting better at delivering the information or my belief in how much information they need is changing, but giving them less, it feels like I'm giving them less and less. Um, the week now is divided more where it's 50% they're playing and 50% information where before it's probably 25% playing, 75% information. So, And like I said, I don't know whether I'm getting better at delivering it and being more concise and, and, and efficient about that. Or, you know, I'm having, I, I starting to believe that how the players feel throughout the week in terms of the spirit of the group and the chemistry of the group, is that more important than the tactics? And I think that's a great, that's like a question I don't think, I don't have the answer for, but it's one that goes through my head all the time, right? Is having a group of guys that are bought in, invest in each other, loving each other, willing to run through a brick wall for each other and the spirit and the care is there. Is that, will that win over a great tactical plan? I think it will. More often than not, I think that wins over a great tactical plan, but the tactics do need to be there. So balancing that out through the week is one of my biggest battles as a coach. I'll be honest with you, that's my biggest battle I have on a, on a daily and weekly basis is how much of the session is for the player, how much of the session is for me, right? And, and getting that right throughout the week 
is just it's a, it's a constant battle I have, and I think I'll have that till the day I end coaching. But I think we're starting to get better at it, and I think that's a big piece of why now I think this run, you know, this this run we're on with home games, and you know, we've only lost one in twenty five. You know, one in four, one in four in this season that dates back to you know last season. Sometimes it's just having a a way of doing things and a plan and trust in the players, right? That we've given you the information, we've done our work, go out and enjoy it, go out, work hard, do these things right, and you probably have a good chance of winning. And I like that because it's not the first time I've heard it, but the art of simplifying the message to the players. Bingo. Something that you develop, right? Uh, over exactly. the years as well. Time. Absolutely. Like it, it, it's, it's probably been my biggest learning curve as a coach since from day one, kind of my first working with, with with senior players in Jacksonville the first time I did that to now, which is probably like maybe six year span. That's probably the thing that's changed about me the most is, is how I'm able to simplify now the message so they can grasp it. They're soccer players. They're not, they're not Harvard grads, right? We're not talking about school. We're talking about guys that are very visual and want to be on the field running around and playing, right? So how can we give them a message that makes sense to them to go and perform and execute it? Amazing. And coach, You spoke about Jurgen Klopp, and it's funny because this question kind of relatable to that <laughs> um, because he saw that four years ago the team wasn't doing well in throw-ins. So he hired a throwing coach to kind of work in that department. Now, this year, you bring in – sorry if I butcher his name. is Dominic Casciato. Uh, he's assistant coach for Attacking Principles, and that's something that you wanted to improve. So I kind of wanted to ask you is how are you able to merge – your playing style so he can facilitate his methodology and what are some of the changes that you've already seen since his arrival in the team? Well, we have about 10 principles of our play that I'll just keep it simple. Five attacking, five defending. It's not exactly like that, but just for the, we have principles for our attacking that we need to do every single game um, and principles for our defending that if we do this every single, regardless of the tactics or the lineup, if we do these things every single game, we have a good chance of winning. So, We were, we were already doing it with the players. The players have been aware of them for a while now, for, for a couple of years, right? But it was now a case of how do we better efficiently throughout the session get this information to players instead of it being my voice all the time or everyone comes together and it's one group listening to a message about attacking principles. Well, the center backs don't need to know about the attacking principles, right? Can we divide the group now into two, three small groups? So now at the same time, Three different groups are hearing what they need to hear. So now it's not, it's done more efficiently. We're not out on the training field for two, three hours. We're not in big video sessions. So having somebody on our staff, and, and I want the staff to evolve to even more people because we've got the defending principles and things like that, where throughout the session, he can just spend time with the number nine. So we're doing a team session, for example, right? Now, usually you know, one or two coaches out there kind of overseeing like 20, 30 players, right? I've got now one guy that's just constantly in the ear of my number nine. Hey, how about that run? Hey, good effort next time, do this. Or, hey, keep making, just, just whether it's just giving them confidence, right? Just, or fixing things in the moment so we're not waiting until tomorrow where he can get with me before training. It's, like, it's, it's been done then and there that the player's getting instant gratification, right? Instant feedback because there's just more voices and more eyes on the training field. So that's kind of the, the idea behind it. Dom's still learning the role. We're still learning how to better utilize it. And I want a defensive principles coach. I want a transition coach because the game, this today's game is all about transition, right? 
are you transitioning from attack to offense, uh, attack to defense, defense to offense? That's the, that's the game at most levels. So how can we now better better understand that part of the game and teach the player? Well, let's bring a transition coach in that whenever we do transition games, he's, he's looking at different things on the field that I might not be seeing because I'm looking at everybody. So it's just a case of getting more eyes and hands out there to better help the players understand what we're trying to do. So we're not spending three hours out there. We're not doing long video sessions. It's all done in the moment. Thanks a lot, Coach. And, um, you know, one thing that stuck on me uh, along the interview was earlier you mentioned how at an early age you knew that your mentality-wise, you know, it wasn't going to stick for you in, you know, playing professionally as a player. Now, coaching-wise, I'm curious. Obviously, El Paso is a very successful team. And, you know, they're, they're definitely a winning team. But I'm curious, as a coach, how do you deal with losses and how do you relay it to your players as well, you know, after a loss? You know, how do you bounce back, you know, mentally, physically? Yeah, good question. So <laughs> I, I was like, I'm, I'm terrible on a plane, right? Like when, when I'm on a plane, there's turbulence. Like if I'm a passenger, if I was driving the plane, there was turbulence, I'd be calm as anything, right? I, I have no... I'm not a pilot. I will never be a pilot. But if I was in the pilot seat, I'd be the calmest dude on that plane, right? So that's kind of my mindset. Like, as a player on a team, I used to get so nervous before games, which affect my performance. Like, But as a coach, I can I feel like I'm in control more of the outcome so I can control my nerves and in a, in a better way because I'm okay losing if it's my fault. I'm okay crashing the plane if it's my fault, right? So... I'm not okay losing or not performing well if I couldn't do anything about it, right? So I think that's where the, the playing and the coaching thing for me, it lends itself more to me being a coach. So I'm actually, after a game, I never speak to the players. I never have. There's a couple of reasons. Players aren't listening, right? After a game, I don't care what the result was. I've been in that situation. You've been in that situation. After a game, you're exhausted. You're either ecstatic because you lost, disappointed, ecstatic because you won, disappointed because the last thing you want is a 20 minute lecture from a coach saying you did this. It's going in one ear and out the other. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy. So I've always had this thing win, lose, or draw, good performance, bad performance. I will go around the room, shake everyone's hand, say, well done, good game. See you on Monday, right? Let them either have a good time and drink some beers because they won or be angry and go home and, and, and sulk all night because they lost. Let them have that moment, right? Let them have that emotion and that reaction to whatever happened on the field. Another reason is like, what I say right after the game might not be correct. I, I, the, you watch a game live, right? You're in the field, like you have this idea of how the game went in your head. You watch it the next day, you're like, wow, it's completely different to what I thought. Like, we're actually good. Like, happens all the time. Like, man, it wasn't a great, we won, but you know, that wasn't really good. Like I felt they had too much possession or that. And I watched the game back. I was like, actually, that was a really good before. So I don't want it to be in a position where I've said something after the game, then I, I have to retract like, guys, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have like said that. Like, that's just not a good, you lose a lot of uh, integrity. You lose a lot of like, you know, trust with the guys. I, I want to make sure when I say something to the players, it's, it's, it's facts, right? It's, it's, it's based on, objective analysis, right? Not subjective emotions. I've always wanted to avoid that. So I actually never speak to players after the game, we lose or draw. And then when they come back in for training, whether it's the next day or Monday or Tuesday, whatever the next training day is, we just look at it completely objectively. These were the stats for the game, right? Yeah, we lost 2-1, but guys, you had 28 shots. 
20 on target, 18 from inside the, the, the box. Like, I know we lost, but do that again, you're probably going to win, right? So it's like you have to weigh it up objectively and not go at it from an emotional standpoint. So we've always been good with that. We have KPIs that, that we have for every game that are unique to us, that key performance indicators. You know, how much possession we want to have, passing the opposition half, shots from inside the box, crossing to the box, those type of things. And if we hit our KPIs, win, lose, or draw, we're good. We're happy. Guys, hit these KPIs. They've been proven to win games. You do this more often than not, you win more games. So we just stick, we were completely objective about our analysis. Oh, man. I, I, I wish you were my, my head coach in high school. <laughs> I, you know, I, I miss kick the ball and I have to do 20 laps and I'm dropped for the next game. But no, <laughs> That's harsh, man. That's harsh. No, no, <laughs> no but um, look, uh, another curious thing is obviously, you know, USL is definitely a, a very unique league. And, you know, coming from England, I'm curious, you know, did you bring any tactics from England over here to incorporate yourself? You know, perhaps did you adopt any tactics that you learned here and try to, you know, mold it into your own coaching methodology? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the English game that I knew, being at a lower level, wasn't wasn't beautiful. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't about possession. Um, but what it was about, it was about blue-collar work ethic. It was about winning tackles, right? It was about duels. It was about second balls and rebounds and, and all those things. And and if you focus on kind of the sexy part of the game, the, 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 the dribbling, the passing, that's important. But it's that kind of the, the, those duels, the ability to win tackles and second balls that, you know, marking in the box, defending well, right? That grit that you need both, right? So you can't, you can't be successful without both things. I think when Pep came to Premier League, the first thing he said was second balls, right? We've got we to gotta find a way to be better on second balls because if you don't do second balls while in England, you lose games no matter how much possession you had, whether you had Kevin De Bruyne on the field or not, you're going to lose games. So for me, it's, it's, it's kind of merging the two. It's, it's the, the, the understanding of the ugly part of the game is so important. It really, if, you, if it's a 50-50 there, you've got to go win it, right? If there's a ball in the air to go, you've got to go win it. Those things have to happen. But then you want to also play good soccer, right? You want to get the ball on the floor and pass it and move and let your creative players go and dribble and take players on. So balancing the two for me is kind of what I got from England. It's like, England was all about the ugly side of it and not so much about the aesthetics of it. How can I now bring the two together and kind of make it 50-50 and in our recruitment of players, right? We got good players in our team, good attacking players, but I need to know you can do this other side of the game. Otherwise you can't play for me. Are you willing to run back and, and defend for your team and tackle? And, or are you the guys who want to stand the box and score the goal? Because that don't work. That's not football these days, right? The best teams in the world now have the, 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 the biggest balance. You look at Italy in the Euros, right? The center backs, man, that dude, those those guys are, are monsters, but they can play. So it's like you gotta have both. So for me, England was beautiful and amazing for teaching me kind of the ugly side of the game. I didn't enjoy doing that as a player, but I respect and appreciate how important it is. And then kind of bringing now in like the 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 whether it's the the South American, you know, type way of playing with you know, the creativity and the dribbling and then the possession style. It's putting it all together and saying, okay, guys, these are your principles for each one of these. Go and do it, right? I believe you can have all of it on a soccer field. Uh, Coach, thank you so much for talking a little bit of tactics. Um, we're almost wrapping up soon, by the way. But just sticking along that path of, of you talking on, on tactics, we actually also took a look at your Twitter, and there was an interesting quote there where it says, we are a team that is obsessed with 
retaining and regaining possession. So I think that speaks key to what you just talked about. I wanted to ask you, you know, you talked about your, your style of play. I wanted to ask you in regards to what you look for in players uh, that you bring forward to, or that you recruit to bring to El Paso. What are some characteristics that you look for in new players that you bring along? Um, there's probably, there's two things that, that's, that we look for. There's, there's, there's a lot, but the two kind of stand out for the most, you know, what one defensively is, is just their willingness to, to defend as soon as we've lost the ball, right? It's, it's, it's such a, an, an important part of the game, right? Because no matter how good you are with it, you're going to lose possession. You're going to give the ball away. Well, the game doesn't stop just because you lost the ball, right? All 11 players still have to be part of the process of winning it back, right? It's not, it's not just the four defenders or the, the midfielders that have to do the work. So even though you're a forward, I want to, I'll go watch games where you've lost the ball and I want to see what your reaction is. Are you a guy that kind of head goes down, your, you know, arms in the air like, oh, or are you the guy that immediately flicks that switch into defense mode and then goes chasing and harassing? Because that's the guy I want, the, the Luis Suarez type forward that, that will just give that defender an absolute nightmare for 90 minutes with or without the ball. So it's a player's reaction to losing possession is, is the most important thing we watch when we recruit a player. Because not only does it show if he's physically willing, capable, it shows if he cares. Everyone cares when they have the ball. Everyone wants to score when they have the ball. Everybody does. It's when you don't have the ball, how much are you invested in your team to go help them try and win it back? It's, it's a key thing. And then with the ball, it's, are they comfortable under pressure with the ball at their feet in, in tight areas? Can they receive it and be brave in possession, whether you're a number six or a centre-back getting a goalkeeper or a number 10 receiving in a tight area? Can you look after the ball and take care of it? They're the two things that stand out for me when, when we look at players. If you can do those two things, you can play for me. Oh, amazing, Coach. Thank you so much for that. Coach, one of my last questions, it's uh, I love the, the, the coaching insight and hopefully you're able to help me answer this question but obviously when a team is playing in regular season games they're still tough but when once they go into the playoffs the tournament format it's a challenge and even last year for you you made it all the way to the western conference finals through penalties and what i wanted to ask you is like why is it different why is it difficult when it comes to playoff matches obviously the latter, you know, when you come in the later stages, you're playing difficult teams. But is there something that teams can do or there's something that you're learning in ways like I'm still going to be loyal to my philosophy and we're going to continue playing that way even when it's difficult? Absolutely, yeah, no, and great question. And it's it's something that I don't think you've spoken enough about. There is league football and there's playoff football. Basketball is the same, right? There's, 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 there's league games and there's playoff games, right? You will never change that. So... I want to be a good league team and a good playoff team. Now, to, to do that, you have to understand how playoff games and finals are usually won. Because there's a, there's a higher anxiety level to everybody for those games, you can't, you can't avoid that. It's you, playoff games or finals, or so they usually won on a mistake or a set piece. So you still want to play your football, but you have to spend a little bit more time looking at those things, right? Avoiding mistakes, and capitalizing or defending on set pieces. Mexico, US the other night. 108 set piece. Be, it, you can't, big games are won and lost on set pieces. Facts. The, the, that, that will never change in football. Play your style as much as you want in a playoff game, which you need to. It's probably going to be won or lost in a set piece because 
forwards and, and goal scorers are more anxious in front of goal because it's a bigger game. Defenders at the back are a little bit more nervy, so they're more likely to make a mistake, commit a foul, commit a free kick. So it's it's understanding that there are there are similarities because the game's the game, right? 11 v 11, all that stuff. But more often than not, playoff games are close. You could One could be playing eight. A playoff game is going to be close. They're very rarely blowouts. You're going to be able to capitalize and manage moments of the games, the first five minutes, the last five minutes, right before halftime. You concentrate more in those moments, and then you capitalize on set pieces. That minimizes mistakes and gives you a better chance to win the game. That's playoff soccer. There's nothing you can do about it, right? On paper, this team should beat this team three or four zero. In the league, the league, the season they probably did, right? Playoff soccer, it'll never be like that. So understand that and embrace that, right? It's the way it is, the way football is. So embrace that and find a way to win in those moments as well. Uh, Coach, thanks for everything. Um, One of my last questions before Hugh uh, finishes it off, but uh, we recently had on Phoenix Rising head coach Rick Chance, and he gave you a lot of praise in our interview. He said that you were probably one of the best head coaches in the USL, which is, well, we were so excited to speak to you today. Just an easy question. I just wanted to ask you, you know, what's your relationship like with other head coaches in the league? I think I saw an interesting stat that two-thirds of the head coaches in the USL are under 40. Um, if you have any relationships with other coaches and just what your thoughts on were even European head coaches coming into the MLS and the USL as well. I think just like players are seeing that also in the leagues. You know, I I like Rick a lot. Me and Rick have a great relationship. Um, playing some good games against each other now. Um, they usually come out on top. <laughs> they're a great team. It's a lot of respect for what they're doing. A great club, Phoenix. And and I, honestly, I like Rick a lot as, as a as a person, we chat a lot before games, after games, you know, we have a beer together, win, lose or draw. And that's an important piece of it. I think as coaches, we, we compete against each other, you know, for 90 minutes, you know, we want to beat them. Obviously, like I want to beat Rick. He wants to beat me. I want to beat Troy. He wants to beat me. I, you can't deny that. But like after the game, I think it's important to have an understanding of we're in the same boat here, right? We're, we're facing the same issues on a day-to-day basis. Right. We're having the same conversations with players on a day to day basis. We're having the same challenges on a day to day basis. Like we're kind of on the same side in a weird way. It's kind of a brotherhood. Right. Of, of like you're not friends, but there's just like this weird like, yeah, I understand what you're going through. You know, like give me a call if you need help, because we're going through the same issues that and a lot of time, like you're on your own. Right. You're on your own dealing with these. You have your assistants, you have your staff and they're great. But you're the head coach. You're the one that has to bear the brunt of the problems and rightly so you're the one with the title you're the one that has to find a solution or have a, a, a difficult conversation with a player and make decisions well there's 20 other coaches 30 coaches in the league they're doing exactly the same let's let's talk to each other let's let's have a chat and find out how how do you do it maybe you can you can help me and i can help you and so that's probably not utilized enough in this country that the relationship between coaches for me in the u.s is not where it should be I think there's still a little bit too much insecurity in coaches in terms of giving away secrets or getting too close. Like, screw that. The game's the game, right? Our relationship's our relationship. We can still talk and, and learn from each other without giving away secrets or giving someone the upper hand or trying to take somebody's job. It's not about that. It's about having a, a common understanding that we're, we're in the same boat here, right? We're kind of on the same side. You want to deal with your players the right way? I want to deal with my players the right way. How can we help each other? So those conversations need to happen more, whether it's after games, over a beer, whether it's throughout the week, picking up the phone, 
I think we can use each other a lot more to help us navigate through situations. I really would like that to happen because I think there's a lot of power in that, a lot of growth to be had individually. So yeah, good. I, have, I try and have a good relationship with every coach. I think it's important. And they come to El Paso, there's a bottle of wine waiting for them in the locker room with a note saying, you know, all the best, keep up the good work. It's important, right? That's how you, I'm recognizing you, I'm respecting you, what you're going through, whether you're first in the league, 20th in the league, you're still going through some stuff, right? We're all going through some stuff. I respect that. I recognize that. I appreciate you. I still want to go beat you, right? And then after the game, shake your hand, say, well done, win, win, lose, or draw, and then have the, and I probably need to get better at this. When you lose, have the integrity to go and, and, and have a beer with the guy that just beat you. Like, everyone says, let's have a beer at the end of the game, but if they lose, then they, they leave quickly. It's like, well, what are we doing here, right? Yeah, like, the game's over now. Put that to the side. Let's sit down and have a chat. And then, yeah, with the influx of a foreign coach into to the country, it's it's an interesting one for me because I've been here a long time now, so I, I am English. I identify as English. I have dual citizenship now, but I identify as English. My accent's English. My family's in England. I support Aston Villa. Like, if England play the USA, I want England to win. Like, I'm English. But I feel like I'm an American coach because I've been in the landscape for so long now. I understand the American game. And the American game in terms of how it's played in the field, how, what, how the players are, the system, the structure of the leagues, you know, the, the mechanisms of MLS, how it can be a little funky with the roster building and stuff and what we deal with in the USL, the travel, the, how, how vast, the, all these things you have to be here a while to kind of appreciate and navigate. Coaches coming in, they're great coaches. They have incredible experience and knowledge, maybe even better than, than me and most guys that have been here a long time. But Having an understanding of the American game is a priceless asset. It really is. Gabriel Hines at Atlanta, incredible coach. One of the best left backs to ever play the game, right? Won championship with Man United, did incredibly in Argentina in his home country, comes to the US, has difficulty working in MLS, right? It's not because he's not a good coach or he's, he's very tactically astute. He's very good. But it's now you're juggling a lot of other things. So I, I do like... Foreign coach, I was a foreign coach once. I do like that happening. It's just a difficult thing to do because of the mechanisms of the leagues and how the league's structured and there's no promotion relegation, the playoff system, all these things. It's not common for us coming from a league in England or Germany or Belgium. Or, so I like it, but I think you got to get the right guy who's willing to, willing to come here and learn what the American game is about. There's the, there's the game and then there's the American game. It's two different things, right? You might know the game, but if you don't know the American system, you won't last. So I like it. I like guys coming over and adding to quality and adding ideas to the game, but just have an openness to learning the American system and being okay with, with how it is because it ain't going to change. There's beauty in it. There are good things about it. There are things that we would like to change, but this is how it is. This is where we work. This is where we live. Let's embrace it. And let's try and make the most of it. I, I know why you and Rick have such a great relationship because he said something along the same lines about needing more communication. So I think this is official. I said this to him. The Soccer Subs podcast is now sponsoring a USL head coach's <laughs> WhatsApp group chat. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to, we'll, we'll be back with your media team working on that in the, in the near future. Um, no, but to, to wrap up, to wrap up our questions here, you were ranked number six out of the USL coaches for having best style. So I want to ask you, uh, this is according to uh, the El Paso Times, by the way, what goes into picking out the game day outfits 
And what gets the the sort of seal of approval when you've when you've got a when you've got a suit up and and sort of you know look good in front of the cameras, but but also you know get your own flair on it. Yeah, good question. I'm 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 not a I'm not a tracksuit coach. I'm not a suit coach. I'm still trying to figure out what I am. To be honest, I'm still trying to work out that myself. I, I respect the polos. I like. I, I, it's, I, an long, it's an ongoing process, polos, but I I like the polo. You know, when Pep started rocking that polo, I was like, uh, or the or the or the sweater. I like. You know, I like that look. So, but it's El Paso, right? It can get hot. So I'm like, I'm I'm very much of a like. A, we're here for business. We're here, but we got to roll up our sleeves and get to work, right? So I want to look good, but also be able to like get down when I like. So right now I, I'm in all black and I like the Simo, uh, big Diego Simeone fan, big fan of his. Like, so I like the all black look, but I'm not a suit guy. So like, you know, I'll go the black shirt, black pants, black shoes, had a black tie to start the season. We lost one game. I got rid of the tie. We haven't lost since. So there's a little bit of like, I'm a little, I'm not super superstitious, but like if we lose, I'll tweak something. And if we keep winning, I'll just keep it the same. Right. So I started the season off all black with a tie, no blazer. We lost um, against RGV. The tie hasn't come back, right? Still black shirt, black pants. We'll see what happens tomorrow night. Hopefully we keep winning because I like the look I've got right now. I, I, I like the all black. It's it's professional, but it's like, you know, we're ready to work, right? There's an edge about it. So, yeah, it's it's an ongoing process. Yeah, I mean, if you ever need any floral shirts, I, I, I know <laughs> a guy, so... <laughs> Uh, coach, uh, we hope we hope the tie never comes back because the record keeps growing and growing. At, uh, <laughs> exactly. A great, great uh, record at home. Coach, we want to say thank you so much for all your time. Thank you for answering all our questions in great detail. And I think the soccer fans are really going to enjoy this one. So much, so much to learn from you. And we can't thank you enough. No, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Enjoy the chat. All right, Coach. Hope, hopefully we'll see you in uh, El Paso one day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Get on down here. All right, guys, that was the interview with Coach Mark Lowry. Man, what an interview. Definitely blew my mind, man. Christian, always got to go to you. What do you think of Coach Mark, man? Well, he has an amazing record. He hasn't lost at home in the past two years. That tells you how good he is. Uh, it's It was such a, an honor. We thank him for being on the show. Right after he recorded with us, he had an interview with SiriusXM. So, you know, he made time for us. So we truly appreciate him. And, you know, just a simple touch. He leaves a bottle of wine for the other coaches to enjoy right after the game, just as a thank you and appreciation. Just a class act and someone that a lot of people would like to learn a lot from. So thank you so much for joining us, Coach Mark. Eric, got to get your takes real quick. What you think of Coach Mark? And uh, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, Coach, I just, you know, I just want to thank you for all, all your insight. Definitely, uh, you know, depth of knowledge and you know i'm just for all our fans out there who don't watch usl definitely have an eye out on mark lowry and um his boys um you know i'm just based off you know the interview with him it was just amazing and i, I look forward to actually watching a few games and you know guys for all our fans out there listen thank you for listening once again we love you guys we you know argue with me on instagram if you like you know i'm a ronaldo fan real madrid fan you know i banter with psg arsenal you know messi all those fans you know what love out there to our Neymar and Brazilian fans out there. <laughs> Eric, real quick, don't forget the carne asada. Coach Mark loved the carne asada in, in Texas. So. Oh, for sure, for sure. I can't wait till we eat some tacos with Coach, you know. Listen, I'll, I'll pay the expenses. I don't mind, you know. I just, I would love to have some with Coach. <laughs> All right, and Hugh, uh, we missed you on the last episode, man. Let's get out of here. 
I've been waiting to do this for a while now. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Please make sure to check us out at Soccer Subs Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Drop us a follow there. Give us a follow on Spotify. And make sure if you're listening to the podcast and you really like him, it would help us a lot if you gave us a review. Uh, some of you have given reviews already, and, and, and we really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening. And, and to the guys, thank you so much for having me back on this episode. It's been a while. And, you know, sorry I couldn't make a couple, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm recording. I'm glad we're here. Thank you guys so much. And, and, and to everybody who's listening, thank you so much as well. We hope to bring you every bit of news in the upcoming days, months, weeks, and, and hopefully years. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the podcast. All right. And as for me, a huge thank you to Coach Mark, Mark Lowry from El Paso. A huge thanks to the team for letting us interview with him, to all the soccer fans for the support. Can't believe we're going on to episode 36. And just one last shout out, a huge shout out to Los Angeles for all the love we got during the MLS All-Star Game. The LAFC fans, District 9, all those guys uh, who showed me and Christian Lovo, we were out there feeling like family. Our boys Vigo and Francisco who uh, took care of us while we were out there. Oh, man, our boy Gary from the hotel. Just uh, all the shout outs. But uh, no, thank you guys for everything. We'll be back for episode 36, bigger than ever. We'll see you guys next week. And yeah, we'll be back for episode 36. You guys take care. Have a good one.